0: Well, we've been in a series called "Doing His Will." We're gonna stay there this morning. Uh, let's look at Hebrews thirteen, verse twenty. Hebrews thirteen, twenty says, "Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great Shepherd of the sheep, sheep through." The blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And NLT it says, may He equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing in Him or to Him, all glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. In the Amplified Classic, it says, May He strengthen, complete, perfect, and make you what you ought to be, and equip you with everything good that you may carry out His will, while He Himself works in you and accomplishes that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to whom be the glory forever and ever, to the ages of ages. Amen. Well, you know, we were praying, coming into this when we were praying before the sermon, uh, God has been around forever and He knows everything. Mm -hmm. So when it's saying, you know, in the Amplified classic here, may He strengthen, complete, perfect, and make you what you ought to be. Well, He knows that. Out of all the possibilities, He knows what you ought to be. Of course, that's general as well, what we ought to be in Him, but what you ought to be. He knows that. And then the vastness of of you know possibility and statistics and everything, God doesn't. He doesn't need to compute any of that. He just he can cut through all that and just say, "Here, son, here, daughter, you do this. This will work out. This will be the right thing for you." And it says that He may uh, equip you with everything good that you may carry out His will. So He's working in us, equipping us to do what He would have us to do, what He knew that you could do and what you're ordained to do before you ever stepped into this earth. I mean, in the vastness of... He doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. He knows everything that's going to happen. He saw us before we were ever born. And so when it's saying He's going to equip you for that, it's already preordained. It's not... We have a choice, but God knows what's going to happen. See, that's, that's the difference. God, God doesn't force us to do anything. It, but he knows what, what we're going to choose. So he already knows what's going to happen. So he already has set everything out. He doesn't control everything on this earth. He certainly doesn't make evil. So God, God, to say God is in control of everything, well, to put him responsible for the evil things that happen, which is blasphemy. He doesn't do that. He's not, he's not in control of the, the people that are crazy, not living, listening to Him and listening to other stuff, listening to the enemy and make bad decisions. God didn't do that. God doesn't do that. He's certainly not responsible for sickness and disease and poverty and death. All the evil things that humans are trying to eradicate, God is not making them happen. No, God stands in back of everything. He created the world, but He gave man a free will. Man uh, yielded to Satan, and man continues to yield or have a free will today, and that's what all of us have. We have a free will, but God knows what we'll choose ahead of time. Mm. So He already knows everything we're going to do, but we're free to make the decision anyway. Mm. So He calls us to something specific, knowing who you are and who I am. Mm -hmm. And He knows. I mean, you you look at the Word and some things, and you're like, ha, ha. How did God saw ahead and He gave people chances? He knew that they were going to fail. Go talk to Him about some of that if you have questions. But He gave people, He gave us all the free will, yet He knows what we're going to choose. And so ahead of time, with all that, He calls. And then He says He'll equip you for that. It's never a question whether you can do what He called you to do. That's just questioning His character and His competence. If He's told you to do something, if He's called you to do it, whether it's through the the holy written Word or whether it's by His Spirit for you specifically, it is not a legitimate question to say, can I do this? Because His command, with His command, is enablement. If you couldn't do it before He told you, when He tells you to do it, Now you can do it because what God says, there is power to do that. So when he tells you to do something, it's a wrong question to say, well, I can't do it. Now you can say, Lord, how? I know I can do it. You show me how. Well, that's a legitimate question. I don't know, but you say I can do it. I'm not questioning that. Help me. That's a legitimate prayer. Help me to do this. We ought not to say, okay, God, I got it. Now I'm going to run off and make it happen. We ought to say every step of the way, Lord, you're telling me to do this. Am I doing what I should do? Is this right? Don't assume. Even if you know what you think is a lot about an area, when he tells you to do something, don't assume you're right. He knows way more. And he may show you something to do in an area, even though you think, you know, you may be very experienced in the world and in in things. God's more. He knows more. He may teach you something different than what is normally done. It's never, a, it's never a good answer to tell God no. It's never a good answer to say I'm not qualified. That doesn't, that doesn't impress him. Like, you're not being humble when you tell God you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You're being arrogant. I'm being arrogant. Wow. What you're telling him is, you thought I could do this, and you've asked me to do this, but you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. You remember Moses? God told Moses, he's going to go talk to Pharaoh and, Pharaoh, and Moses said, I can't do it, I can't talk. God did not jump up for joy or say, oh, you're right. I mean, I... I, I overlook that. You're right. You're so humble. He got mad. It's frustrating. Because when, you, you know, think about it. You, you, if, you, if you're if you an adult and you're telling a four-year-old, five-year-old, you need to do this, and like, I can't do it, you don't say, oh, you're so humble. <laughs> you say, I, I, I told you, you can do it. Now, you have to listen to me. That's not humility, it's rebellion, or it could be misunderstanding, but either way, you got to figure it out. The answer is not, you are wrong, if you have assessed right. God is, that's not even a good analogy compared to us (laughs) in relation to God, because we've only a few decades older than our children. He's forever older than us. So when He tells us something, and we're like, I can't do that. The Almighty just told you something, and we're saying, I can't. That is, that is actually very arrogant. It's, we just need to get rid of that. So if we thought we couldn't do it, he tells us to do something, we ought to be like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're doing that. No idea how. You, please show me. Well, of course he's going to show you. Doesn't hurt to say, Lord, I hear you. I need your help. Of course you do. That's par for the course. <laughs> if you think you can do it all on your own, It wouldn't take any faith. So anyway, we've been talking about this. God is going to help you to do what He needs you to do. And He is almighty and He knows. And so we ought to esteem His things, His ways, His kingdom more than anything else. When we realize His kingdom is above everything, and He's asking us, first of all, to come into the kingdom, He's, Jesus was slain for us, and says before the foundation of the world, you know, God knew Jesus was going to be sacrificed for us, and so He asked us to be His children. You know, right there, people will say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And they reject what the Almighty has given. and they don't, they don't esteem it. Well, then as we come into the kingdom, if we've believed on Jesus, you know, we can be saved. But then we can decide, you know, I'm not really going to have a part of that. That's not really important to me. We're, we're not esteeming what He's saying to do. Not esteeming His kingdom. Not esteeming His things. And His things are more important than anything else. Everything else is just a side thing, side gig on this earth. It's not the thing. Doing His ways and His things are the real, the real focus. You know, we have to eat and sleep, and we, we, do, we go about our business, but God knows all that, but our focus is Him, and it should be all centered around Him. And esteeming that. Let's look at Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In the NLT it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hit it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. In Matthew 13, 45, just the next verse, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and he's saying, the kingdom of Heaven, it's like a treasure. And in both cases, person sold everything else to get that treasure. In other words, that treasure was more important than everything else. Selling all that that he had, to get the field that had the treasure. He found a treasure in a field that evidently wasn't discovered, and he said, I'm getting that field, because when I get the field, I get the treasure. That's how we ought to look at the kingdom of God. kingdom of God, that is the treasure. Everything else that we need to, to get it or to serve God, what Jesus did is free to us. It wasn't free, but it's free to us. And so he, he, he ransomed himself. God ransomed Jesus, paid for us. That was free to us, but it was not free. And so now we come into the kingdom of God. Now everything that we have is submitted to what He has done in His things. That's the important thing. It's not a light thing. In Philippians uh, 3, verse 7, it says, "...but what things were gained to me, these things I counted loss for Christ." Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. In the NLT, these same verses say, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yet Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Forsaking everything else. Why? Because you esteem something else more. I mean, people see this, you see this all the time, just the way people act. You know, something is important to their life Till what something else catches their attention and all this other stuff kind of fades into the distance and they're all about whatever. Could be any, it could be, you know, a certain product, could be a person, could be a celebrity, could be, you know, a hobby, whatever, but it's like, don't even, that doesn't matter to me. I'm all about this. Well, you know, that's actually how we ought to be with the things of God. We care about these things, of course, in context. I mean, that's, you know, not a perfect analogy there because people in the natural will actually forget about everything that's important and be so obsessed with something that their life starts going down a wrong path. Right? They've ignored you know addicts can be like this they're 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 trying to get this next thing so much whatever the addiction is that their life starts just dis- being destroyed cuz they're so caught up with that well in a positive way we ought to be so focused on what the Lord has done and what his things are that yes and if you're you are focused on him then you're going to do what he said in his word so you're going to take care of the other things but you're not going to be distracted by things that aren't adding to the kingdom and yes you have to do natural things that but if you're focused on the Lord he's told you how to handle those natural things so you'll do those things but you're not going to let something that's not in His kingdom, or adding to His kingdom, distract you from what the kingdom work is. Mm -hmm. Because He is the center. See, worldly obsession, if you want to call it that, it's destructive. Mm -hmm. But when we're focused on what Jesus has done, the more you put Him in the center, the richer your life becomes. See, Satan's distortion, see, people think it's going to make them happy. Do you know the world holds out all these dangly, flashy things, and people go after them by the millions, thinking it's going to enhance their life. But all it ends up is like the proverb, I believe it's a proverb that said, just a mouthful of gravel. Mm-hmm. You don't, it's like you think it's going to be great, and then there's nothing there, and it leaves a bad aftertaste. With God, you can be so caught up with Him that we want more and more of Him and His things, but. It doesn't leave a destructive path in its wake. It's It's better and better. You can see, you'll never get satisfied with enough of Him. You want more of Him, but it's not destructive. It's not uh, going to take away from the other parts of your life and the good things in your life and people in your life. It enhances them. It's like you get closer. You get to Him, the more. You know, fun you are to be around. The better person you are, the more you take care of the people around you. The more of a blessing you are on this earth. Why? Because you're connected with life itself, and His ways. Are, so then, you want to do things His way, and then the more you're uh, doing things His way, the better th- the, the wake that you leave behind you is good, is lifting, because you've esteemed. That treasure, you've esteemed Him. You, you've been wise enough to look at, through this earth and say, what He's doing is actually valuable. These other things, they'll fade. That's true wisdom. You see through, you see all the things you could have, and you say, all oh, this is worth selling to do what He asked me to do, to, to live for Him. Ephesians 3.8, the Apostle Paul says, Though I am least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ Jesus. In Christ, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul is saying, God gave me the role of telling people about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. See, when you have the Lord, it opens up everything that He's done for us. But none of it is accessible without Jesus. You can't access what God has bought for you through Christ by yourself. You can't. You can... You can try to get those things. That's what the world is doing. It's trying to do it on its own. You know, when I say the world, I'm saying people without Jesus. Doesn't matter nationality. Doesn't matter background. It's just whether you've believed on the Lord Jesus, which is how you become part of the family of God. The only way to get family benefits is to be in the family. And the thing is, it's not an exclusive club. It's open to everybody. God is not turning anybody away. He's He's let He's 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 uh, invited everybody through Jesus to become part of the family, but not everybody. Not everybody receives it. Mm. Mm. Proverbs sixteen sixteen says, "How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. To get wisdom, true wisdom." is what Paul is saying, that there isn't, I count everything else as garbage, gold. Are you kidding me? That's not more important than knowing Jesus. See, true wisdom is far more important than any material thing or any material pursuit or any earthly pursuit. True wisdom is what the Apostle Paul said, I count all that as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Because knowing Jesus opens up everything else. But see, you don't seek those other things. The seeking of other things by themselves is going to be empty. You seek the Lord Jesus. It's the gateway to have everything else. But the, the highest thing is Him. You can't truly enjoy earth without knowing Him. Because you're not doing the creator's will and His work. How could you enjoy, truly enjoy? You're not going by the handbook. By the operator's manual. He's the creator, told us how to live. If we're just going to be like, well, I don't need this thing. I'm just going to go and do it my own way. It's not going to go well. So we ought not ever to be judgmental about people that don't know God doing things that people that don't know God would do because they're not living for Him. Well, I can't believe they're doing it. You should be able to believe they're doing it. Because they don't know God. They don't know the way. They're not putting that first. Of course, they're going to act like that. Now, what we need to ask is, what am I doing? I mean, I, if I know God, then I need to act like, okay, so God, show me, help me. I want your way. But don't let it get ups, upset you when sinners, people, when you say sinners, we, everybody can sin, but uh, if somebody without out the Lord Jesus, if somebody doesn't know them, if they're not a Christian, it should not be surprising that they're going to do stuff that's against the Word, that they are going to sin. Yes. What they need is Jesus, because anything else, I and mean, that doesn't mean you take it, you just let it happen, especially in your own life, but it shouldn't surprise If you rail against that, like get really frustrated, we're wasting our breath, because it's like, well, duh. Does a cow moo? You <laughs> can't believe he mooed. There it is again. Oh, he's doing it again. He's going to move. He's a cow. I can't believe they're doing this stuff. I can't believe these people, they're acting like somebody without God. What do they need? They need God. <laughs> and Jesus, God loved them enough to send Jesus when they didn't do anything right. <laughs> so that's where we got to be. And that's, that's you know, you, you, your flesh wants to knock him across the head, but God said, I've died for him." I'm not saying, we're not talking about just putting up with every kind of junk, but I'm talking about you, us when we're at home railing about something that we can't control. Do something about what you can control. That's a waste of time. But serving the Lord and His things, there is nothing more important than knowing Jesus. There isn't anything higher or more precious in our life than that, and knowing Him is the way to truly experience richness in life, and doing what He told you to do specifically in your life is the surest way to, to long-lasting fulfillment. Anything else, no matter how sparkly it is at the beginning, it'll eventually fade, because if the Creator in all His infinite wisdom has told you to do certain things, if you do it a different way, it's going to be less than what, he told, what He's planned for us. It will be. He's already determined what we should do, so we should just get, the quicker we just get in line and follow Him, we're going to experience richness. And the more that we put Jesus in the forefront of our life, make Him the center, that's the way to receive everything else that God has for us. Let's look at 1 John 5, verse 11. It says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 12 or verse 11 says, Life is in the Lord's Son or God's Son. Verse 12, He who has the Son has life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Period. Jesus is the way. See, there is no other way to God before Jesus. That's not politically correct, but that's legally correct. It doesn't matter whose feelings it hurts to say that Jesus is the only way because legally in the court of the universe, He is the only way. You make somebody else feel good because they're believing a lie doesn't do anybody any good because legally they're on quicksand. They may be believing something is right, but legally it does nothing to make them right with God. If you have the Son, you have everything you have life. If you don't have the son, you have nothing. And so we put the things of God center. We put him in the center of our life and do things. First of all, of course, we, we call on him as our savior. You say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he rose from the dead. I call him Lord. That's how you come into the kingdom of God. And then we live our life centered that way. That's how we're going to to have access to all that God has said. But then as we live, we're going to put Him first, which gives us access to all the things He's planned for us. Now, I want to read you, this is, I don't believe, a real account. This is just a story, you know, as an illustration. But uh, it illustrates this point. I don't really know. I've seen this in different places. Don't know the original source of it. It says, A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. I first heard this when I was at Rhema, Cooper Beatty, in his class. This guy was old, wiry, in his 80s, 90s. I can, I can remember. When I think of this story, I think of Cooper Beatty. He was still teaching at, late 80s, 90s. He'd have a finger, and he was, you know, a wiry person. He'd be like, and he'd teach Old Testament, New Testament. So Cooper Beatty is where I heard this first. It says, a wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and died in battle when rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a a bullet struck his heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love of art. The young man held out his package. I know this isn't much. I'm not really an artist, or I'm, I'm I'm not really a real artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to visit his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works that he had collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having the opportunity to purchase one for their collection. The son, the son... Who will take the sun, the auctioneer said. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We'll start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100? $200? Another voice shouted angrily. We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts, get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued The sun. The sun. Who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have $10, who will bid 20? Give it to him for $10, let's see the masters. $10 is the bid, won't someone bid 20? The crowd became angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel, going once, twice, sold for $10. A man sitting on the second row shouted, now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. The auction is over. What about the paintings? I'm sorry, when I, called to conduct, uh, when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. The man who took the son gets everything. Quite a picture. Because everything else that we had put our eyes on, it has nothing, it, it doesn't compare at all with what Jesus has done and what he paid for. And truly, when we believe on him and live for him, everything else opens up. But most of the world is exactly like this. They're looking for everything else. And they're not esteeming I mean, people will mock Jesus. People will say, "You know, you believe in some man in the sky, and just you know all this," and they don't—they don't understand. They're mocking the Creator of the universe, but it, he's not—he's not draped in something that draws attention. The gospel, and and God's kingdom. God is the Creator of the universe, holds all power, but He doesn't flash His power on the earth. You have the Gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to redeem us, and God doesn't force it down anybody's throat, and He doesn't force those who who are Christians to do what He wants us to do. We all have a decision. Every person has a decision whether they'll accept Jesus or not, and then they have a decision whether we're going to go after him and put him in the center of our life or not. But there's all these other things that look much more valuable and much flashier on the earth that are vying for attention, trying to pull us this way. Well, this will actually do more in our lives. All our friends are doing it. This other thing, it looks like it'll make us more money. And in the end, we are going to stand before Almighty God in the presence of people. And what we did for him is going to shine much brighter than any of these other distractions on the earth. It, it, his kingdom is so much higher. He's the king. And when he asks us to do something on this earth, he, he doesn't push like the world pushed. He doesn't wrap it in a bright, shiny package like the world. The world will, will wrap death in a shiny package. And sell it to people. God wraps life in something that looks just like this portrait. It looks like something like, well, that's nothing compared to all these other great works. And so people can easily despise it, but the truth is there. And so for us, we can make the decision, I'm going to esteem Him. I'm going to believe what the Word says. His Word, His kingdom is above everything. And He will not force anybody to receive what He's done. But when we do it voluntarily, when we step off into eternity, everything we did for Him is going to shine for all eternity. Everything we did that was all this other stuff not going to even be remembered. It's a sobering thought. It shouldn't be condemning. It should be just, Lord, You, you are the center. You are the one. You are the one that's always been, and your things, regardless of what the world's doing, I'm going after you. I'm going to do your work, whatever that looks like in my life. For each of us, He's called us generally, according to His Word, to do certain things, but then He's called us specifically, and that treasure that is the kingdom of God Only our hearts, we can choose to esteem that or not. God is not going to force. He's not going to condemn. He's not going to push us to follow Him. But He'll hold it out. And that is more precious. Doing what He would have us to do and honoring Him and going down that path and putting Him in the center and glorifying Him in whatever He's called us to do is more precious and will stand through all eternity. It will outshine anything else that the world calls valuable. These other things are going to fade completely. You won't even be able to remember. It's like the glory of decades past that people are like, I don't even remember who, what. But for all eternity, the things we do for the Lord, it it will shine because it's His kingdom. Amen.